Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy USFL Week 7. We're on to it. Not quite. We're going to we're gonna review Week 6 first, but almost had you there for a second. Either way, six weeks through this wonderful league. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have. Unfortunately, I did not get to catch them live this week. That is why this podcast is actually later. Was touching a ton of grass in Georgia on a nice little family vacation. Had a great time. Wasn't able to catch any of the games up there because, you know, they don't have Wi-Fi or cell signal in the mountains. Crazy world that some people live in out there. Either way, got back on Monday after that long drive, immediately sat down, got those games in the mind, looked at the stats, wrote the article, and now here I am talking to you all. So thanks as always for tuning in, and let's get started, everyone, with a rather thrilling first game of the week. Philadelphia Stars took down the Tampa Bay Bandits 35-28, to and this one really did go down to the wire. One of those games where you would think that based on that score, shootout back and forth, a lot of passing yards and all that. And on one side of the ball, that was the, was the case, not so much on the other. But first, let's start off with the victorious Philadelphia Stars, who are now 3-3 three and three on the season. Hey, hand up. I said that I thought the Bandits were better than the Stars because of Jordan Tiamu. And, you know, Case Cookus has done some good things out there. Didn't exactly prove me wrong in this one. There was some flukiness that we'll get to in a minute. But Cookus in this one, only 73 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Threw the ball just 20 times, though, because when he got Matt Colburn going for 140 and three, not one, not two, three tutties on the ground, who needs silly things like the forward pass in the year 2022, and we're playing the USFL, baby. So this really was just a Matt Colburn show for uh, the Philadelphia Stars. And guys, I've watched every carry Colburn's had this year. He looked incredible this last week, and maybe he was just coming back from injury before because he was someone that started off the year behind actually uh, um, behind Holland as the n- number two running back on the stars. And then Paul Terry came in after Holland got injured and was taken over as a starting running back. But throughout that whole kind of period, Colburn was also banged up himself. So we saw Terry his first week really have a featured role in the backfield. But after that, Colburn's is slowly but surely creeping up. We see Paul Terry miss this game due to an AC joint injury. And what happens? Colburn takes the hell over. So mentioned that 140 yards and the three scores and they were impressive as hell like this dude shifty in the open field uh if you guys remember the newer longest yards the adam sandler one with uh you know nelly and all that i thought colburn with the ball in his hands kind of looked like megat and i mean that as a compliment i'm not trying to say like he's a bad player he looks like this hollywood uh you know turn like rapper turned actor that's trying to pretend like he can play football one of my favorite parts of that movie was just how much of a baller nelly looked like with the ball in his hands that's what, that's kind of the comp I got from Matt Colburn from this one. And then the wide receiver room, you know, it makes sense that when you only throw for 73 yards, going to be tough to get too much going. With that said, Buck Howard scored twice on pretty much the same route from inside the 10-yard line. So the Stars, you know, in their pass-happy offense, they regularly use four or five receivers. Sometimes we call Buck Howard a tight end, even though he plays wide receiver. But regardless, when they get inside that 10-yard line, they are looking to ISO up Buck Howard. And why not? 6'5", 230 with that sort of shiftiness signed the man up feed him the ball near the goal line stars did just that and they came away victorious but don't confuse that victory with any sort of slight to to Jordan Tiamo and the Tampa Bay Bandits continuing to play some of his best ball of the football season when else would the season be of course it's a football season Ian anyway with Jordan Tiamo 333 yards 
four touchdowns, just a single pick on the day. And the pick was bad. Like first, first or second drive of the game, I saw that and I was like, oh man, I just had this dude going to last week. Come on, man. But he came through with the big time stat line and also chipped in 61 yards on the ground. I mean, this game really was a Jordan Tiamu sh- uh, show, throwing that thing all around the yard. First touchdown went to John Franklin on a beautifully thrown 13 yard fade just right in his lap. Also had two to Chiene O'Grady, week one star that's unfortunately been splitting some snaps, so we didn't get to see a ton of him recently. Final touchdown on the game to Daquan Hampton, other tight end. Just an easy throw right down the seam on a play action that kind of drew everyone away. So really the big story in this one is how it ended, which was Tiamu leading the guys down there. There was a fourth and 10, and they had Rashard Davis go ahead and bust like a 62-yard catch and run. I mean, Tiamu kind of had to place this ball in between three or four defenders in the first place to get the ball to him. Davis, who had muffed a punt earlier and set up an easy touchdown for the Stars, catches that, breaks away, barely gets tackled at the five-yard line. Bandits, unfortunately, had to go to another fourth down, and then Tiamu had a wide-open O'Grady in the end zone. Like, defender fell down. He was there, unfortunately. Pressure was also there. Hit Tiamu as he threw it. Ball sailed high out of the end zone. So, great game from Jordan. And because of that, he is going to be one of the offensive players in the game, even in the loss, alongside Matt Colburn. So, already talked about pretty much all his accomplishments. Uh, The one stat I do have for Colburn that was particularly impressive, though, Mentioned the 140 rushing yards, 126 after contact. That's some Derrick Henry shit right there, everyone. Defensive player of the game, Stars Edge, Adam Rodriguez. Weak high, seven pressures. None more important than on that aforementioned last fourth and five. With the game on the line, Adam Rodriguez was able to pressure Tiamu, get him on the ground, get that ball out the back of the end zone. Great game from the USFL's A-Rod. I don't know if you guys want to latch onto that. Just uh, remember who said it first. Some of the fantasy football takeaways, again, you can always find these on pff.com. Got this article out each and every Monday, sometimes Tuesday, if I'm trying to have a little bit of a life and or make my family not absolutely despise me sometimes. So with that in mind, looking at these uh, just at the stars first, Case Cook is continuing to play every snap of Brian Scott out of the picture. Matt Colburn coming in 66% of the snaps, also commanded the routes, 18 carries and two targets, while Darnell Holland was really playing only 30% of the snaps, just seven carries. He had one good run, but even then, he did not look like the same guy we saw in week one. Those hamstring injuries are no joke. I think Holland might still be playing through the pain. And also, like, we saw them ease Colburn back into action. So the fact that Holland, who this is only his second game back from the injury, I wouldn't be that shocked if, despite Colburn's big game, we see more of 50-50 splits. So Paul Terry was listed as a full go. So this is why on those preview episodes, you know, I say it. I have a list. If you go to my Twitter, at iHeartits, I have a USFL Twitter list. And if you want to try and make some money on DraftKings, you need to go look at the team accounts before you roster these guys because we have someone like Paul Terry even if he did your job, if you set your lineup on Friday and you were just looking at the reports, you saw he was a full go with an AC joint injury. Unfortunately, before the game started, he was moved to the inactive list. So because of that, Colburn took over, just realized I don't. this wasn't a true takeover. It was influenced by injury, both to um, obviously Holland, who we just mentioned coming back, and then also Paul Terry being inactive. So in the wide receiver room, look, it, in the pecking order, we have Maurice Alexander first, Devin Gray second, Jordan Sewell third. But as always with the stars, there's a little bit of quirkiness going in there. With Alexander being the number one guy, that's mostly because of DeAndre Overton being out due to a hamstring injury. So moving forward, I do think it will go back to being Overton, Devin Gray, and Jordan Sewell over Maurice Alexander, who he's done some good things. 
He had the two-touchdown game a few weeks ago, but so is Chris Rowland, who made another great catch and looks like the best slot receiver on this team. But, you know, we've seen this week after week after week. It's Overton, Sewell, Devin Gray. Those are the top three. Of course, though, Buck Howard, the tight end, who is actually a wide receiver, really is starting to emerge as the number one in Philadelphia. Team high six targets and 90 air yards in this one. With the Tampa Bay Bandits, Jordan Tiamu continuing to take every snap. Brady White was in there in week two. Haven't really seen him since, which is great. Now, B.J. Emmons back in the picture. Juwan Washington was still the overall lead back. Wasn't that huge of an advantage, though. 53% snaps compared to 42%. Juwan had 12 combined carries and targets, and so did Emmons. This is kind of what we saw during the first four weeks of the season when both of these guys were active. It's not this scat back, early down back system. More, more of a 1A, 1B. Could easily back to Emmons being the 1A as early as next week. John Franklin was the leaned on wide receiver with an 88% route rate, but it got gross after that. Derek Tillon, 59%. Vinny Papali, 59%. Rashard Davis, 31%. Keith Mumphrey, 39%. Of course, y'all get Derek Willies in there as well. And oh yeah, Chiano Grady, the guy that probably should have had three touchdowns with a little better pass protection, just 57% of the route. So maybe O'Grady can make the most of it. Clearly him he and Tom will have some sort of connection that's worth pursuing there. But as long as Daquan Hampton, who also scored a touchdown, to be fair, is going to be splitting things right down the middle. Going to be really tough to get behind O'Grady. I mean, if there really is a quarterback to go naked with in this league and just not stack him with any pass catchers, probably is Jordan Tiamo, just because of how involved all these other guys are. But credit to Franklin and O'Grady and also Hampton for pulling in those touchdowns. So yeah, everyone, another one-score game, 17 of 22 so far. 17 of 24, I should say, this season have been a one-score game. Gotta love that from the USFL this league. Birmingham Stallions took down the Michigan Panthers 33-17. to Now, you know, had a ton of offense in the last game, not quite as much in this one. We know how that goes. The Birmingham Stallions pass rush, 44% pressure rate this year. No other teams even higher than 36% at this point. So credit to Jamar Smith for getting the victory. But guys... It's not fully the Jamar Smith show just yet. I thought it was going to be. He played every single snap of the first half. He leads them down the field on a touchdown in the third quarter. They went ahead and went with Alex Magoo, though, for the pretty much entire fourth quarter and even the end of the third quarter, using him as more of a running threat. So if you actually look, want to look at the specific numbers from these quarterbacks, again, Jamar Smith, all 30 of the first half snaps, but Alex Magoo, 23 to 11 snap lead in the second half. You know, credit to Jamar Smith being a great teammate out there. Magoo scores a QB sneak. Who's the first guy giving him a hug? Of course, it's Jamar Smith, but unfortunately for our purposes in fantasy land, can't really be trusting a quarterback that's not going to be out there for the game's full allotment of snaps, particularly if you're not like the DeAndre Johnson type where you're not getting the team's rush attempts out of the group. So Jamar Smith still did throw the two touchdowns. He got one of them to Osiris Mitchell and the other one to Tony Brooks-James. Tony Brooks-James was just right on the goal line. This kind of pick route thing where he went out to the flat wasn't a big deal. The Osiris Mitchell one, someone that's flashed really throughout this entire season. Ho-hum hitch and all of a sudden turns it up, makes a dude miss, gets himself in the end zone. So 63 yards and that touchdown for Mitchell on the day. I mean, the only other guy in this offense that had even 40 receiving yards was Peyton Ramsey, who just got signed earlier this week. That was actually on a bomb from Alex Magoo. Uh, similar, this is like the USFL version, uh, but it was actually a game of the Miami Dolphins to a fiasco where they're like, oh, what a dart. And you see Tyreek Hill just really underthrown. And, you know, shout out Birmingham Stallions USFL Twitter. I know I'm kind of shitting on you right now, but I do appreciate your hard work. But yeah, man, don't be talking about Alex Magoo's arm strength when you 
brutally underthrow Peyton Ramsey by a good 10 yards. Credit to Ramsey for coming back and catching that ball, though. So, big story, though, was on offense. Right now, looking like he's going to be the player of the week because why not? People know his name, and he is the hometown hero. Bo Scarborough, 16 carries, 105 yards, and a score. And it was a sick touchdown, man. He was on that drive. He had something crazy like... I think it was six of eight touches on the drive. They were feeding him, going up the middle, dragging dudes for extra yards. But what does he do when he least expect it? Bounces to the outside, gets the corner, and goes ahead and dives into the end zone from about 28 yards out uh, to score a touchdown. So fantastic play by Bo Scarborough and really a good game for him. It did come with C.J. Maribel out of the lineup, though. So before you think this is some kind of big takeover, I'm sure you know people are just going to see Bo Scarborough. Like, yeah, of course he's the lead back. He's Bo Scarborough. Why wouldn't he be the starting running back there? Just realized C.J. Maribel was out of the picture. He was a starting running back still last week, and I would anticipate him continuing to be so moving forward, albeit Tony Brooks-James does seem like the odd man out at this point. Over on the Panthers' side of things, another not terrible game from Shea Patterson, and we'll take that after what we saw the first few weeks of the year. 209 yards with a touchdown and interception in this one. Reggie Corbin really was the definitive lead back. We'll get to the specific stats in a minute, but 16 of the team's 23 carries. Only 71 yards, though. Didn't get the touchdown, as we're seeing, you know, a little bit tougher to live as a legit RB1 in fantasy land when you're not ripping off a 50-yard touchdown every game. But hey, credit to him for getting that done for at least two weeks. I would note, though, Stevie Scott and Cam Scarlett were both listed as questionable going into this game. So Corbin, he's been the best running back there. Maybe he is just taking over the backfield because he gives them the best chance of winning winning but when both the other guys were injured tough to completely come away with that conclusion Really, the best thing that Shea Patterson did was get his good wide receivers the ball. Lance Lenore, nine catches, 82 yards on 12 targets. You know, first team all air yards this year, but he just hasn't been able to really convert down to realize production. Good to see a couple of those go his way, particularly this slant he had. Pops up, looks hype, always rocking the dope visor. Love me some Lance Lenore. And also Devin Ross, seven catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. Good for him. His touchdown came on a slant as well. Also some good route running, was able to make a guy miss going to the end zone. So with this Michigan Panthers offense all year, we've been saying it. The only two guys you can really trust are Lance Lenore and Devin Ross because of the amount of routes they run. It was good to see both of them come through in an offense that, again, we just haven't been able to trust for most of the year. Uh, Shea Patterson also had a QB sneak for a touchdown. Mentioned the Magoo one. I think that about covers the scoring plays from this one. Got to give, though, offensive player of the game to Bo Scarborough. Again, 16 carries, 105 yards, and a score. Had three runs of 10-plus yards. PFF's fifth-highest-graded offensive player of the week at 80.8. And for defense, got to give a shout-out to Michigan Panthers edge defender Vantrell uh, McMillan. 38.5% win rate on his pass rushes to convert that to pressure. Four pressures on the week and PFF's highest-graded overall pass rusher. So great game from Vantrell. Some fantasy fo- football workload notes, of course. So with Jamar Smith, we mentioned that split already. 30, all 30 of the first half snaps, but Alex McGoo, a 23-11 lead in the second half. I mean, when you look at what Birmingham was able to do on the ground, this is why McGoo was actually in the game so much. I mean, it was him, Bo Scarborough. You would just see these drives where they're running the ball, you know, 8 out of 10 plays out there. So really, you know, it was a good job by McGoo, but if you don't have Bo Scarborough breaking tackles the way he was doing, I'm not so sure things would have gone that smoothly. But hey, Bo Scarborough, again, not even their starting running back necessarily with C.J. Maribel sideline. 
due to that knee injury. Overall, though, Bo Scarborough, 66% of the snaps, 42% of the routes, 16 carries and two targets. So if anything, seeing that when Scarborough's out there, they're wanting to kind of throw him the ball even a little bit. It is a nice advantage if you want to kind of ride with him, assuming Maribel misses a little bit more time. With the wide receiver room, Victor Bold, 97% routes with Sirius Mitchell, 97%. Marlon Williams, 79%. Been saying it all year. Birmingham is doing us a big solid here. They feature the same three receivers each and every week, and they're doing good things. Don't be fooled by Bolden's, you know, not that big box score, though. 11 targets, 120 air yards. Mitchell had seven targets, 93 air yards in his own right, but... Victor Bolden, someone that's been quiet for a few weeks, but we've seen him flash the legit talent, and the workload remains as juicy as ever. Moving on to Michigan Panthers. Paxton Lynch was listed as questionable, maybe moving up with the chances to be able to play with that lower leg injury, ultimately inactive. And we also have Josh Love on the roster, hasn't been activated yet. So Shea Patterson playing better and better. Like, I'm not saying he should be benched. If we do see Lynch or Love activated, though, for the same game, I would expect Patterson to probably not be in the 100% drop back club any longer. But we'll see what happens. At running back, Reggie Corbin, 80% snaps, 76% routes. Just make sure that's going to still be the case when Stevie Scott and Cam Scarlett are less banged up. But for now, I think even though this is technically a three-back backfield, Reggie Corbin is going to be in the play group as early as next week. With the wide receivers, pretty much the same story. Lance Lenore, 100% routes. Devin Ross, 79%. Joe Walker, though, actually 82%. So we saw a little bit less of the three tight end usage. I mean, they kind of cut Connor Davis out of the group. Yeah, Ray Bolden's been making, I'm mean, excuse me, uh, Joe Walker's been making plays since week one. Maybe get him out there on the field instead of trying to run your freaking spread tight end heavy offense that Michigan's been preaching, you know, for pretty much the entire season. So. Devin Ross, Joe Walker, Lance Lenore, not a bad trio in Michigan if they can actually throw the ball. But hey, Birmingham Stallings are 6-0, continuing to roll. With that pass rush, they can win each and every week. Please, though, just give Jamar Smith the job. We played six weeks. Alex McGoo's a big boy. Let Jamar Smith play every single snap of every single game and move the hell on. New Orleans Breakers took down the Pittsburgh Maulers 26-16. Game that wasn't all that close. I mean, if you look at it, this was actually 24 to 3 at a point in the fourth quarter. It might have been 23 3. I think they missed an extra point in there, these kickers, man. But really, you know, badly in the Pittsburgh Maulers didn't get going until very late in this one. New Orleans Breakers, though, this was not the offensive explosion we might have expected. Kyle Slaughter threw for just 92 yards, 13 of 21 on the day. Seemed to really be injury-related, though. I mean, he only dropped back to pass five times in the second half. They actually pulled him for his backup, um, whose name I'm even forgetting right now as I'm trying to talk about. Tyler Smith. Zach Smith, I believe. There we go. Zach Smith. Zach Smith came in for one drive, and it was right after Sloter drove them 94 yards for a touchdown. He came into the game uh, listed on the injury report with a hand injury, but they were talking to him on the sideline about how his leg was feeling as well. Remember, like, he popped out his hip or something, his groin. That was it. They say he had a popped groin earlier in the year, and somehow that didn't even make it on the injury report. So Sloter playing all kinds of banged up. And after this performance, seeing them willing to not really put the game in his hands if they don't need to, might need to dial back some expectations for his passing game, at least in the near future. But a win is a win is a win. A big reason why is what they were able to do on the ground, and mostly because of Anthony Jones, who took over as the lead running back in this one. Jordan Ellis had been the starter throughout the year, wasn't expecting this sort of takeover. But I believe I did throw that caveat in the preview episode, just mentioning that when you have someone like Anthony Jones, who wasn't even on the team until a couple weeks ago, who was active for the first time last week, there was a chance to see those kind of snaps go up. And that's why with these 
injured guys their first game back. Don't necessarily take that as the rule of thumb moving forward. But hey, Anthony Jones, 22 carries, 102 yards and a touchdown. Weak high, seven missed tackles for us along the way. Great game. Jordan Ellis, though, also had a touchdown run. Nifty little bounce to the outside. Good on him. At wide receiver, Taiwan Taylor, five catches, 40 yards. My guy Jonathan Adams couldn't get it going. Two catches, 16 yards, just four targets. You know, similar to uh, the Philadelphia Stars we were talking about. Like, you throw for 70 yards. In this case, you throw for 92 yards. You're not going to see much uh, production from the wide receivers involved in that one. On the Mahler side of things, Vadley, you know, gets, the, gets Pittsburgh their first win of the season last week. I was skeptical, though. Great touchdowns at the end of the game. I think the wide receivers had a little bit more to do with it. We saw a lot, a lot of erratic uh, play in the meantime. Unfortunately, it was most of the erratic, erratic play in this one. So, badly, again, we didn't find the end zone until late in the fourth quarter. And what happened in the fourth quarter was he did drive them down there when it was still a two-score game, proceeds to throw a pick six on a pass behind Bailey Gaither. That gets, again, taken back all the way. That's what a pick six means. But on that connection that we saw score those two touchdowns last week, Bailey Gaither and Bad Lee, they got another one this week, and that was a great diving catch by Bailey Gaither. Again, that dude is a complete stud. Unfortunately, though, both of Bad Lee's interceptions were intended for Gaither, and both of them were Bad Lee's fault. I mean, look, the guy runs around. He did scramble for a three-yard touchdown at the end, four yards, I believe, at the end of the game. He got them back in it. Like, it was a one-score game before the Breakers were able to get that field goal and kind of push things to 10, get that win, get that cover. So, Bad Lee, man, if he can just play every single game, like it's the final minutes of the final eight minutes or so of the fourth quarter, I'm sure he'll be just fine. But as of right now, I'm not so sure the USFL is going to make that rule. So again, not the most entertaining game. We had a Mahler's offense that was mostly sputtering out. And we had a Breakers offense that because of their banged up signal caller just wasn't willing to really try to push the ball downfield. Still, the New Orleans Breakers continuing to show why they are a true top three team in this league with a beatdown. And hey, they covered. So what more can you ask from a team? Offensive player of the game, got to be New Orleans running back Anthony Jones. Mentioned the 102 rushing yards and that touchdown. Only a long run of 13 yards. I mean, this was just consistent tackle breaking, grinding out, play after play after play. 66 total rushing yards after contact. Defensive players of the game, Breakers Edge, Nigel Chavis, and cornerback Ike Brown. Brown actually had both of those interceptions on Gaither, including that 98-yard pick six. Fantastic game, but overall targeted five times. Intercepted two of them, only two catches into his coverage for 20 scoreless yards. Mentioned Chavis, though, six pressures with a 16.7% win rate. Also had two tackles for a loss or no game. With New Orleans Breakers, 6% snaps, 36% routes, 25 combined carries and targets. Jordan Ellis, not completely out of the picture. 44% snaps, 13 carries, 2 targets. But if we're moving on the next week, like... There was no good reason for Anthony Jones to really overtake Jordan Ellis this week that I can come with throughout the moment. Again, 56% versus 44%. I'm not saying it's a takeover, but Ellis was looking like one of the few true featured lead backs in this league. Right now, we at least have to you know, take a step back and realize this is looking more like a two-back committee that can go 60-40 in either direction. At wide receiver, Jonathan Adams continues to be the lead guy in terms of snaps and routes, but with Sean Poindexter missing this one with a hand injury, we did see Taiwan Taylor and Johnny Dixon get into the fold. Dixon's been there all year with Adams. Taiwan Taylor's been the one missing out a little bit. Sal Canella at tight end, 89% route rate continues to stay elite. 
Um, final thing here, just note with this backfield. Again, we can live with two running back committees. I say this all the time. Two running backs is fine. Three or more are when things get tricky. Note that Larry Rose and Ezra Gray, their other two running backs on the roster, were inactive. So if we see Larry Rose, Ezra Gray, either you know elevated to the active roster before next week, I will probably be fading this entire backfield. With the Maulers, Vadley, Pittsburgh can't decide on a quarterback seemingly all year, but they go ahead and give Vadley 100% snaps. You know, I could easily see them starting Kyle Luletta next week. We just don't know what's going on with Pittsburgh. I'm happy they got that win last week. I don't really anticipate them having too many more competitive games though throughout this year. At running back, Garrett Groshek, he's dominating the usage, like 54% snaps, but he had 14 carries. And Madre London, 25% snaps, just 10 carries. Either way, this offense has been so abysmal putting points up on the scoreboard, even in one of the few two running back rooms we have in the league. It's just hard to get too much behind them. They really throw the ball to them. And we got to deal with Mikey Daniel actually coming in and playing a lot as a running back. I mean, guys, I'm not putting these numbers in wrong. It's 54% snaps for Groshek, 25% for London, and 30% for Mikey Daniel. So the fullback is actually out there a lot as a running back as well. And he had four carries and two targets for his trouble. So because of that, I mean, it's hurting these wide receivers and everyone as well. I mean, we did have Trey Walker, 87% rounds, Delvin Hardaway, 79%, and Bailey Gaither, 79%. But when we had that fullback there, just doesn't make those three wide receiver sets any more prevalent than they already are. And when we have new man on the block, number four wide receiver Isaiah Henney coming in, impressing, like really making the most out of a lot of his opportunities and chipping in that 42% route rate. Um, I will be a little bit lower on Delvin Hardaway moving forward. He's still got six targets in this one, but he was kind of our bounce back guy. I don't think, you know, the number three uh, wide receiver for the Stars or for the Bandits, one of these better off, maybe bad examples there. Number three wide receiver for the Breakers, like a good passing game when the quarterback isn't banged up, is a little bit better than someone for this Pittsburgh team that, look, we know it's just Trey Walker and Bailey Gaither at this point. Time and time again, those are the top two. Last week, Trey, eight targets, 118 air yards. Bailey had seven targets, 125 air yards. If you're going to be rostering anyone from Pittsburgh, it should probably be Trey Walker or Bailey Gaither. So, yeah. Kyle Sloter, five dropbacks in the second half. You know, credit to the Breakers, providing enough juice on defense and the run game to pull through for their ever-banged-up quarterback. You know, I got the Stallings number one, the Generals number two, New Orleans Breakers number three in the old power rankings. Instant classic in the last game. The type of game you finish on NCAA football and it just immediately leaps to the top of your instant classic scoreboard. New Jersey Generals took down the Houston Gamblers 26-25. to Had to overcome some adversity early. DeAndre Johnson comes out. Four for four to start. Throws a touchdown to Cavante Turpin. He's looking good. The gamblers are all over the place trying to defend these RPOs. But unfortunately, just halfway through the first quarter, takes an awkward fall going out of bounds. And yeah, didn't play the rest of the game. Wasn't able to see an injury update. Prayers up for DeAndre Johnson, though. Truly one of the most fun players to watch in this league so far. I really hope he'll be available for the stretch run. In his absence, Luis Perez came in. Did some good things as a passer, rusher, and receiver. That's right, Luis Perez. Today, we spell redemption, L-U-I-Z, for Luis. Someone that, you know, coming in this year, I wasn't overly high on. I didn't like what I saw out of him in the AAF. But you know what, guys? When you're a young quarterback and you got to play behind one spring league team after another, it makes sense that maybe getting a little more experience will produce a better player on the field. So Luis Perez in this one was able to hook up with Cavante Turpin for his second touchdown. Caught one from DeAndre, one from Luis. Wasn't the best throw from Luis, but he took a big hit. Like, that's kind of the equalizer there. If it's not a great throw, but they get drills, they throw it, you give him a break. It was a wild play. Like, Turpin's first touchdown, 
I mentioned with DeAndre, they were just making a nice living on some of those RPOs and being able to uh, get their guys out in space. But Turpin, truly looking like one one of, if not the shiftiest wide receivers in this league. I'm, Victor Bolden might still have that title, but Turpin, the way they've been using them, we said weeks ago, just with those rush attempts he's getting, he's basically the USFL's version of Debo Samuel. His first touchdown just with one of those nasty jukes that you know would make a Chris Berman go whoop back in the day. And then on the second score, like they ran this wheel. And, you know, usually I think they were running cover three. And a lot of defenses, um, you're told as like an outside linebacker to basically continue to run with the wheel. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the exact terminology. Run with the wheel, I think, is all we called it. So basically, um, if you own the flat, that's fine. But the cornerback, if you're playing cover three, the cornerback is responsible for his deep third, but he also has to stay on top of the post. So one way offense to combat that is they run that post, get that cornerback out of there, and they run the inside guy on a wheel because that flat defender, if he's not careful, won't follow the wheel. And that's why you see just some guys get wide open and those coverage busts happen. So unfortunate for number 99 on the gamblers that he had to run with Cavante Turpin in the first place. He did a decent job, but the ball was underthrown. And for Turpin to slow up the way he did, adjust to it, come down with it in the breadbasket and find the way into the end zone for his second score. Uh, truly was a great play because, again, we know what he can do with the ball in his hands. I mean, he had a freaking uh, 25 yard run in this one, too, where every single time it's like, my God, the dude is one more broken tackle away from taking this thing to the house. So to actually see him make a great adjustment to a ball downfield shows you that he might actually have a legit chance at, you know, making a name for himself as a wide receiver in a league that is not being played in the spring. That's mostly it from this. We did see Trey Williams have himself a nice game. We've It's been kind of a split backfield. I've been leaning towards Trey Williams throughout the year, but then Darius Victor comes in and gets the goal line carries. Trey Williams was the one to punch across the three-yard touchdown on this one. And on the final play of the game, you got to give some love to the play calling. The aggressiveness, I mean, they had to. They were down by more than a touchdown, so not really much of a point. Uh, not more than a touchdown, but just down enough to get the 26-25 lead with that Luis Perez one yard QB sneak had to fight for it too. I mean, they took that rule away eventually where, uh, you know, famous picture of Bart Scar, Bart Starr scoring a touchdown in the uh, ice bowl back in the sixties. And you had, I think it was, I think it was Kramer, their fullback with the putting his uh, Packers fans know putting up the touchdown signal. But Kramer, when they asked him about it afterwards, he actually said that he wasn't trying to signal touchdown. He was trying to show that he wasn't shoving Bart Scar. Bart Starr across the goal line because that was a penalty for a long time in the NFL. Clearly not a penalty these days in the USFL because Perez got stuffed, but Darius Victor, the muscle hamster himself, basically threw Perez in the end zone. So great job getting across the plane, Luis Perez, but man, that touchdown, just as important to go to Darius Victor, in my humble opinion. Couldn't have been, couldn't have happened though without Luis Perez showing some athleticism. Uh, you know, we kind of had this little Philly special, if you want to call it the New Jersey special going on before. Not only caught the ball, which is not a given with the quarterbacks, was able to make a guy miss in the open field. Not a perfect game from Luis Perez. He lost two fumbles, but hey, it's not easy to come in off the bench in a game that you're not really expecting to play much or if at all in the first place. So credit to Luis again for becoming uh, the next Ron Burgundy in terms of redeeming yourself out there. With the Gamblers, Clayton Thorson, one of his better games, 15 of 19, 171 yards, three touchdowns, and just one interception. Even the interception, he threw a deep 50-50 ball. It was literally like 50 yards downfield to uh, Isaiah Zuber. 
one of the best wide receivers in the USFL that we've seen so far. It was on second and 18. He lobbed it up. It got picked. It didn't, it didn't hurt anything. You know, they, it was a punt on the next drive. So great game from Thorson. Saw him creating a little bit in the pocket. And that's kind of been the thing with Thorson. We've seen him have a couple splash plays. You know, he'll have one play a week that Skip and Shannon are forced to talk about on Undisputed. And you're like, okay, Clayton Thorson actually doing something all right here. It's just been tough to kind of see that consistency. But in this one, with them able to, I guess, just kind of get out in front for a change and I guess get that defensive touchdown in the fourth quarter maybe not run as many plays to expose them perhaps uh, I'm just trying to look at it half full guys but Clayton Thorson good shit had two touchdowns not one but two to Mark Thompson they're running back in the course of under a minute first one was just Thorson doing a good job extending the play swing pass turned into a wheel second one looked like Thompson just wasn't even defended so and that is why we've been on Thompson throughout this because similar to Leonard Fournette not exactly your Austin Eckler of the world. And he's also number seven, which is just cool. We're trying to look for parallels any way we can here, everyone. But Thompson, he's not going to blow you away. But when he is out there on over 70, 60, 70% of the routes, he has these sort of things that can happen. Like Javante Williams, we all talk about that overall RB1 game. He have with Melvin Gordon now. Go back and rewatch that. A lot of garbage time stuff there. He caught like a 40-yard pass before the half when KC was just like basically saying like, yeah, take 40 yards, but you're not getting 80. And it's the end zone. I'm not hating on for it. All the yards count the same. It's fantasy football. Just realize that when we're looking at it, uh, just being on the field, that sort of opportunity, the sort of luck that can get you uh, points that count just the same. So who cares if they're lucky? Teal Redding. Another big game. Again, he had that incredible one-handed catch last week. Caught a 48-yard touchdown on this one. Uh, can't give him a ton of credit on the touchdown, though. I'll say it. I was ready to be like, wow. You know, sometimes you see a guy get so wide open, you're waiting to see the wide receiver, cornerback, ISO cam replay, expecting just a filthy route that's going to leave the guy into dust. I have no idea what this cornerback was doing. He basically, maybe he was trying to shove him out of bounds. I don't know. There was not a semblance of a double move on that route, and the cornerback just ended up tripping over Redding's feet, leaving him wide open for the score. Isaiah Zuber before that. Only two catches, 33 yards in this one, but really impressive again. I mean, Zuber early on in the year, someone that was catching touchdowns and just really looking like he was maybe winning a couple random 50-50 balls, but two weeks in a row now, he's just showing off some really good yards after the catch skills. When you have someone making 50-50 catches and looking good with the ball in their hands, I mean, what else do you want from a guy? I mean, that's doing everything, right? At running back, Mark Thompson caught the touchdowns. Good thing he did because only 11 carries for 23 yards. So another great game that the Gamblers were able to play in. They have not had a single game decided by more than seven points this entire season, I believe. One in five, but I think their point differential is only going to be minus 16 or so. We'll figure that out for the preview a little bit later in the week. But got to give the offensive players of the game to the quarterbacks, Clayton Thorson and Luis Perez. So with Thorson... Don't put the blame on him, guys, because the Gamblers missed an extra point. They failed to rush for a two-point conversion when they got stuffed. And then after they actually got their last touchdown on that fumble recovery, Thorson hit, I believe it was Zuber. looked like it was in the chest. Sometimes it's tough to tell if the defender got the hand in there. But either way, I mean, missed extra point and two missed two-point conversions for a one-point game. Yeah, not ideal, everyone. Uh, and then credit to Perez. Again, had the fumbles, wasn't all perfect, but for him, 159 yards and a passing touchdown. He had the game-winning QB sneak and also had a 14-yard reception. Great day to be great for Luis Perez. Defensive player of the game, got to be Gambler's Edge. Chris Odom, 90.5 PFF pass rush score and three sacks tied for the, or that was the most on the weeks, and he also had six pressures, which were tied for the most on the week. A few more fantasy football notes, and we will get out of here. 
mentioned DeAndre Johnson leaving quickly, leading to Luis Perez taking over. If Johnson's going to take time, yeah, we're expecting Luis Perez to be the DQB1 throughout the game and accordingly bring a more pass-happy offense. At running back, Darius Victor, 53% snaps, 16 carries, 2 targets. Trey Williams, 47% snaps, 16 carries, and 1 target. Trey Williams got the short touchdown. Right before that, though, Darius Victor got his own opportunity from the three-yard line, and there was a quarter break, so might have gotten a little bit lucky there, but you know what? Darius Victor's been stealing his touchdowns all season long. Why not let Trey Williams have one? I mean, even at some point, Ricky Bobby, I know he won the final race in Talladega, but it was, you know, against the rules, and he did, was starting to work a little bit more with Count Orton Jr., you know? Nothing wrong with second place, nothing wrong with silver. They've talked about it, but sometimes, you know, Darius Victor, you gotta let Trey Williams score, too. At wide receiver, Alonzo Moore, 100% snaps. This was one of the weirder situations we saw um, kind of reviewing these notes because Alonzo Moore played 100% snaps. Jamal, Jamon Moore is still out. Haven't seen him play since week two, but when Jamon Moore was in there, he was working ahead of Alonzo. So if Jamon's going to come back, I would think Alonzo would be the odd man out. But hey, he's been on every Mike Riley Spring League team basically ever. Maybe he is now carving out his own spot. But beyond Alonzo, Randy Satterfield, 59% routes. Kevontae Turpin, only 53%. Darius Shepard, 32%. Cam Eccles Luber, 12%. So Shepard was coming in this game a little bit banged up, probable with a hamstring injury. Perhaps that played a role. Did have a real nice out route. I tweeted out the uh, route he was running on that play. Just, you know, getting shifty, creating that separation we love to see here over at PFF. But yeah, Kamonte Turpin, 11 targets, 3 carries on 53% snaps. If you're getting that kind of usage, it doesn't matter. And he is clearly one of the engines of this offense. So Kamonte Turpin continues to be someone that we can ignore the usage a little bit because they're feeding him touches when he hits out there on the field. And with the Gamblers, Clayton Thorson continuing to take every drop back with Kenji Baher, continuing to be out with a hand injury. They're not even listing him still on the inactive roster. I have dug around on the internet to try to find out if I miss Kenji being cut or something. So if anyone knows, let me know. It's also, yeah, it's Kenji. Um, But yeah, let me know, everyone. But for right now, Clayton Thorson is still the QB1 in Houston. Mark Thompson, 70% snaps, 73% routes. Probably like the single just most trustworthy workhorse week to week in the USFL. At wide receiver, Isaiah Zuper, Anthony Ratliff-Williams, Tio Redding, and Tyler Polka, all 77% routes or higher, but it was Zuber, excuse me, on the Zuper mispronunciation, Zuber was out there for 100% of the routes. So love seeing that with some of these teams, you know, Jonathan Adams, Isaiah Zuper. Hey, feature your freaking guy when he, you know he is the number one. And credit to the Houston Gamblers for no, not even playing a tight end for even 40% of their snaps. They're happily embracing the four by wide receiver offense. So thank you guys. For tuning in to another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. Sorry if uh, some of my words were, you know, not quite as sharp as normal. It is about 10.45 p.m. here, and I have been up for quite some time on this day. But hey, it's a great day to be great, and we will be back Thursday previewing everything that's ahead in Week 7. And we will be back after that, reviewing it once again next week. So... We got, let's see, seven, eight, nine, ten, four more of these weeks. And then the games are actually going from Birmingham to Canton, Ohio. I'm going to do my hardest. I'm going to pull every freaking string I can find this industry, people, to see if I can find a way to get on that sideline. So get Ian on the USFL sidelines for the playoffs. Maybe that could be a Twitter hashtag. Probably not those words. I don't think that would stick. But we'll workshop it. we got some time to figure it out. And I cannot wait to see some playoff USFL football in the summertime. What's better than this? So thank you guys for tuning in. I'm Ian Hardy. Until next time, take care, everybody.